This episode of Geeks Crossing is brought to you by today's sponsor, Anchor. Ever wanted to start a podcast but can't find the right platform to work with? Don't worry, Anchor has you covered. Anchor is a free audio app that allows you to record a podcast on any device no matter where you are. Anchor includes an editing feature that allows you to customize your podcast, whether it be on your computer or mobile device, so you can easily omit any errors or unnecessary parts. Anchor also allows you to distribute your podcast to other platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or even Google Podcasts, which is amazing. Did I mention the part about making money? No? Well, you could be earning money every time someone listens to your podcast with no minimum listenership. If that's not the easiest way to make a podcast, I don't know what is. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. The moment is here, ladies and gentlemen. It's finally time to talk about Kingdom Hearts 3. After playing Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 a lot, naturally I wanted to play a third installment. Although there are many games to be released, with Birth by Sleep and Dream Drop Distance being pleasant surprises, I was still waiting for that third numbered entry. And then it happened. June 2013, which was around the same time the Xbox One and PS4 were revealed, Square Enix, with no build up whatsoever, announced Kingdom Hearts 3. I lost my shit when I first saw this trailer. And can you blame me? Kingdom Hearts 3 has been nothing but a myth between the years of 2007 and 2012. For a long time, this was my main reason to get those next-gen consoles. Little did we soon realize that we were forced to wait almost 6 years for this game to come out. Kingdom Hearts 3 finally released in January 2019. I was in my freshman year of high school when this game got revealed. Essentially, I had to wait until my junior year of college to play this game. Regardless of how long it took, I definitely played the hell out of it. And I gotta say, this has to be the most heavily mixed opinion game in the entire series. People either love it, hate it, or find it average. Most of it has something to do with the story and the way the worlds were implemented, which means it's time to finish up this mini-series by ranking the worlds in this game. The rules remain the same, judging them based on quality and overall impact, only including worlds that we the players have access to. The ones that won't be included are the following, Destiny Islands, Mysterious Tower, Realm of Darkness, Radiant Garden, Disney Castle, Land of Departure, and Shibuya. You know, for a numbered game, that's a lot of inaccessible worlds. Definitely the biggest surprise for me was Radiant Garden, considering that it played a huge role in Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. ROD, LOD, and Shibuya are used for boss fights, so they don't count. That leaves the world count at 11. Shockingly, that's less than what KH1 had, albeit less by 1, but still. Also, before you say anything, I'm aware that most of these worlds can be explored through data grading, but that still doesn't count. Besides, people only use data grading for memes and shitposts. As usual, I will be including spoilers, so I apologize for that. And this is all just my opinion, so please be respectful for what I have to say, even though some of you are probably going to find what I say controversial. I'm Eric from Geeks Crossing, and this is the Kingdom Hearts 3 Worlds ranked from worst to best. Number 11, The Hundred Acre Wood. What do you know, my list is actually starting to make sense for once. In all seriousness, it pains me to put this world very low, but I have no choice. You guys know I love Winnie the Pooh, and I was excited to see this world return as the minigame world, especially with that lighting effect they gave Sora and the characters to make him look like they're actually in a book, and that perfect remix of Winnie the Pooh. But that's as far as all the praise goes, sadly. I don't know if Square had cold feet or something, but this world is severely lackluster this time. The only area you explore is Rabbit's House. They excluded characters like Owl, Kanga, and even Eeyore, and instead added Lumpy from one of those directed video movies. I guarantee nobody asked for Lumpy to be in Kingdom Hearts, and the minigames. They're fun, I'll give it that, except for one huge problem. 
they're exactly the same. Just with a different thing you pick out of Rabbit's Garden, whether it be vegetables, fruits, or flowers. Compared to how diverse the minigames were in the last two numbered games, this is an insult to me. And I get it. Nobody gives a shit about the 100 acre wood, and you want to make it as easy and quick as possible. But by doing so, you just make the world feel less inconsequential than it already was. I really hope that if this world returns, Square puts a lot more care into it this time. Number 10, Arendelle. If you guys played this game, then this spot shouldn't be surprising. Just to clarify, I don't hate this world because it's based off Frozen. In fact, I was completely down for having a world based off Frozen because it's currently Disney's most popular IP right now, so it makes sense. But that's where the problems start. Because Frozen is Disney's current cash cow, Square had a lot of limitations to work with. First, they had to go by the story of the first film, which is understandable actually. Anna and Elsa couldn't be seen in combat, so Rip seeing those two as party members. Lastly, they needed to include at least one song from the film. I hated the singing minigames from Atlantica and Cage 2. So the last thing I wanted to hear was more singing in Kingdom Hearts. And it's more awkward this time, believe it or not. When Elsa sings Let It Go in the film, it makes sense because she was all alone. But when you have Sora, Donald, and Goofy in the background, it's like, who the fuck is she singing to? Also, don't you hate it when people sing right the fuck out of nowhere mid-conversation? Well, that's exactly what we got with Do You Want to Build a Snowman when Anna was talking to Sora. Speaking of which, I did like how they went by the story of the first film. However, Sora, Donald, and Goofy barely contribute to the overall plot. Seriously, majority of the story has them trying to talk to Elsa only for them to fall off that damn mountain every 20 minutes. Even Hans, who, mind you, is the main antagonist, doesn't say a single line. Yeah, he turns into a heartless, but what good is that if he doesn't have any dialogue? There are some good things to talk about though. The field and battle themes sound pretty good. The areas were fun to explore, especially the ice labyrinth Larxene created. The mini game where you slide down the mountain on Goofy's shield was fun as well. Except avoiding those damn ice dragons. Lastly, the bosses. Marshmallow was actually a good boss fight, and then having him join your party to fight Skull was awesome. I love how Skull turns into a dark spirit bomb during the fight and Sora needs Marshmallow's help to stop it. Overall, Arendelle was disappointing for the most part, but at least it has its moments. Number 9, Twilight Town. It pains me to do this, but I have to put Twilight Town this low despite it being ranked very high the last time it was featured. Like most people, I was super excited to see this world return, and Twilight Town was the most prominent world in Cage 2. Sadly, Twilight Town received a huge downgrade even though this game was running on a next-gen console. The only areas we could explore was the town plaza, woods, and in front of the mansion. Emphasis on front. Nearly every area from Cage 2 is missing. No usual spot, no sandlot, no train station, no Sunset Terrence, and you can't even go inside the mansion. What the fuck, Square? And it's a shame because I like the story that they were going with. Sora wants to make Roxas his own person, but by doing so, they have to use data from the virtual Twilight Town to create a body. With help from Ienzo, who's over at Radiant Garden. This made me assume that at some point, we were going to visit the virtual Twilight Town during a second visit or something. Nope. All that shit is handled off-screen. Also, they couldn't give us a proper boss fight. I know the Demon Tide had an absurdly long health bar, but what's the point of fighting it if you can only deplete 25% of its health? However, this is Twilight Town we're talking about so there are some good things to mention. The music is at its best so far, definitely more orchestrated than Cage 2. The town plaza is more infested with NPCs, making the world feel more alive. The underground sewer was a neat area they added as a secret passage to the woods. 
and I enjoyed the interval cutscenes that occur when a certain world is completed. One where Hainer, Penson, and Let save Ansem the Wise from Ansem, or Zane or Targless to make it sound less confusing, and Lee having a genuine conversation with Syax before the Keyblade War. I still love Twilight Town, don't get me wrong, but this game didn't give it any justice. Oh yeah, before I forget, the minigame where you cook with Remy from Ratatouille? Amazing. Except the egg part is now the bane of my existence. Number 8. The Keyblade Graveyard. You have no idea how painful it is for me to put another original world this low. Especially since this is a final world location, by the way. I enjoyed the Keyblade Graveyard a lot in Birth by Sleep, so naturally I'd be excited to see a return. The atmosphere is still creepy as ever, and the music has been amplified to make it sound more intense. This is where the Seven Guardians of Light clash against the Thirteen Seekers of Darkness as a new Keyblade War begins. A lot of crazy shit happens in this world, I don't know where to start. Right off the bat, we're treated to another 1000 Heartless X moment, where Sora and his friends have to fight over a thousand Heartless, Nobodies, and on Burst. We get to have a proper boss fight against the Demon Tide. The Union Cross moment and Yensid saving everyone was epic. Then we go through a boss rush against the true organization. Sora helping Mickey fight off Luxor, Larxene, and Marluxia. Sora and Riku taking on Dark Riku and Zigbar. Terra Nord and Vanitas where Aqua and Ven managed to save Terra. With help from Sora, of course. Syax, which marked the epic return of Xion and Roxas. Hands down, the best moment in this boss rush was fighting Ansem, Xemnas, and young Xehanort at the same time. And having Riku and Mickey by your side made this even more epic. God, these were such great moments that it's hard to explain in words. With that said, why the hell did I put this world so low on the list? Simple. This world feels empty. You can explore every area and not find a single enemy to fight aside from those battle gates. Yes, there's the Dark Inferno secret boss but it pales in comparison to some of the other secret bosses we had in past titles. All Square had to do was give us enemies to fight and this world could have been ranked higher like the other Final World locations. But no, they couldn't do that. Speaking of which, I decided to rank the Final World alongside Keyblade Graveyard because of how minuscule it is. Essentially, the Final World is like Purgatory where a person lies on the edge of reality before his or her heart disappears. Sora is sent here after he and his friends got bodied in the Keyblade Graveyard, then he uses the power of waking to save everyone. This was such a beautiful world, both in terms of scenery and music. The problem is there's nothing to do in this world. Yeah, you can go back and collect those Sora clones, but you don't get anything out of it. What's the point of making this world accessible if there's nothing to do? Even though these worlds provided a lot of intense moments, they definitely could have been utilized better. Number 7. San Francisco. I'm sure some of you were expecting to see this world at 6th place or something considering this is a world based off Big Hero 6. Jokes aside, this is one of the worlds I was looking forward to the most, as Big Hero 6 ended up becoming one of my all-time favorite Disney movies. San Francisco was definitely the largest map in the entire game, with different parts of the cities players can explore, not to mention the hundreds and hundreds of NPCs roaming around. What I found unique is that you can choose to explore the city at either day or night, with the music changing depending on your choice. Unlike most Disney worlds, San Francisco tells an original story that takes place after the events of the first film. Sora, Donald, and Goofy team up with the Big Hero 6 to stop the Heartless and the mysterious Star Cubes. I love the chemistry Sora formed with these characters, no pun intended. Hero and his friends were willing to help Sora, and he inspired them to improve their fighting capabilities. Kata Sorcerers, God I can't pronounce this shit, was a great boss despite his relentless attacks. I had a good time fighting the Dark Cubes as well. However, Dark Baymax was my favorite because this boss has you fly around the city on top of Baymax, 
And what's better than flying around on top of Baymax? Unfortunately, San Francisco has problems. Even though I said that this world had the largest map, it still felt empty. A lot of key areas from the film are still missing like Ancat's Cafe, the Institute of Technology, and not even the Golden Gate Bridge or whatever they call it in the film isn't accessible, which is bizarre because that's the starting point of this world, and one of the battle gates takes you there. Exploring the city during the daytime is boring because there's no enemies to fight unless it's nighttime. Donald and Goofy never mentioned that the dark cubes resemble the bug blocks from Recoded. I know, the last thing players want to hear is more Recoded relevance, but it was so obvious to point out. And Dark Baymax should have appeared more instead of waiting until the last 15 minutes. At least the minigame where you collect data on Heroes Training Course was fun. San Francisco could have easily been ranked higher if these problems didn't occur. Number 6. Olympus At this point, people are getting sick and tired of exploring Olympus, but leave it to Square to make such an overused world feel more fleshed out and new. I loved all the new additions they added with Olympus this time. By expanding the town of Thebes after its severely lacking appearance in Birth by Sleep, having to explore Mount Olympus and eventually Olympus itself, sadly there's no underworld to explore. But it's not a total loss. The music is still great as ever, with a new epic track being played whenever players climb the mountain, and the classic Colosseum theme plays whenever you explore Thebes and the Realm of Gods. And to top it all off, Hercules is finally a party member. Granted, Recoded already did that, but we don't talk about that. Story-wise, it actually makes sense why this world returns once again. Sora visits Hercules, who he thinks he can help him regain his powers, considering Hercules went through a similar dilemma before. It soon dissolves into the third act of the movie where Hades summons the Titans to attack Zeus at Olympus. It was so refreshing to see a Disney world be utilized in such a more meaningful way this time. The Rock Troll was a decent first boss, though I never understood why he decided to make a recurring enemy afterwards. The Rock Titan tries to put up more of a challenge compared to his fighting in the first game, but it's still a pushover. No doubt, the most intense boss was fighting the last three Titans at once. While the Lava and Ice Titans were tough in their own way, the real challenge lies with the Wind Titan, who can not only unleash strong gusts of wind, but blow large pieces of debris at you, and combine attacks with the Ice and Lava Titans. This was definitely challenging for a beginning boss, yet I found myself enjoying it a lot. Sadly, Olympus has some rather disappointing parts to it. For instance, there's no boss fight against Hades. Why? It happened in the last two numbered games, even Birth by Sleep had one. Not getting the chance to fight Hades again really did upset me. And as if that wasn't enough, the tournaments are gone. Yes, they had the audacity to remove the tournaments from this world. It was slightly excusable in Birth by Sleep, but in Kingdom Hearts 3 of all games, you could make the argument that the Battle Gates sort of act like tournament fights. What am I saying? Of course they don't. Olympus still continues to be a great world, except those changes I mentioned pulls this world down for me. Number 5. Monstropolis we're now in the top 5, and what better way to start it off than talking about this world? It was revolutionary to see Pixar properties be utilized in Kingdom Hearts. Aside from another world, which I'll get to later, Square decided to add Monsters, Inc. into the mix. I loved watching Monsters, Inc. as a kid, and it fits so well into Kingdom Hearts. Because of the way they handled emotions, exploring Monsters, Incorporated felt exhilarating. Venturing through iconic areas within the factory, such as the Laugh Floor or the Door Vault, with the latter providing a fun rail grinding minigame, and new areas added like the junkyard or power plant, the music in this world was better than I expected. In fact, both battle themes ended up becoming some of my favorite tracks in the series as a whole. I remember being somewhat creeped out by seeing the monster forms of Sora, Donald, and Goofy. How fitting. 
though they eventually grew on me. Much to my surprise, this world told an original story rather than follow the events of the film, as most of us probably expected. Sora and the gang team up with Mike and Sully to stop the Unverse from collecting negative energy while protecting Boo. Also the return of Randall, who wants revenge after his humiliating defeat from the first film. I love all the nods and references from the first film, especially Mike constantly reminding the characters how they switch from collecting laughter instead of screams to power up their facility. Hands down, the best scene from this world was when Benitas made his return and tried to extract Ben's heart from Sora. This of course left him getting scared and yeeted by Soli. Bro, I almost pissed my pants out of laughter when I first saw that. It's a shame that we didn't get to fight him though. At least the lump of horror turned out to be a great boss. Definitely a step up from the unversed bosses since Birth by Sleep. However, I can't put this world higher because of a few things that did bug me. One is the lack of film characters. I get that this story takes place at night and majority of the factory workers are probably asleep, but if they were able to add the CDA, the least they could have done was give us Roz, who happens to be my favorite character from the film. Even though Randall is a threat for most of the story, he's not a boss. Really, Square? How could you not make Randall a boss? And it's not like he doesn't know how to fight, because in the movie he almost chokes Sully to death. Other than those two things, I enjoyed Monstropolis a lot, and hopefully one day it will return in a future installment. Number 4. Kingdom of Corona No, this isn't the same Corona we're all thinking about. In all seriousness, this was the first new Disney World revealed to us back in June of 2015. Naturally, I was excited, not because it was a new world, but Tangled is one of my favorite Disney movies ever, and it was a perfect fit for Kingdom Hearts. This was such a beautiful world to explore, right down from the forest, marsh wetlands, and the kingdom itself, which is populated with NPCs. The music is so captivating and catchy that I can listen to it all day if I really wanted to. In fact, I might do so after recording this episode. In terms of story, they follow the events of the film where Sora and the gang help Flynn, or Eugene, guide Rapunzel to the floating lanterns. However, they have to be cautious with the Heartless and the sudden return of the Nobodies thanks to Marluxia, who teams up with Mother Gothel. The friendship between Sora and Rapunzel was precious, as Sora knew what it was like exploring the outside world for the first time. And it was humorous that Eugene kept calling the trio his sidekicks. The dancing minigame happens to be my favorite minigame in the entire game, because of how flashy and hilarious it is to see Sora dance with multiple NPCs. The Chaos Carriage was a good entry boss before it was downgraded to an enemy like the Rock Troll, though Grim guarding this was more engaging. Yeah, it's pollen and constant apple bombs attack can be annoying, but I still enjoyed it. And come on, you can't deny how funny it is to hear Sora, Donald, and Goofy sneeze while fighting. Sadly, this world isn't perfect. One of the most frequent problems is how this world cuts out certain events from the film, insinuating that everyone has already seen Tangled enough times to know what happens. The Marluxia and Mother Gothel team up should have been more flushed out, and it was disappointing to see Rapunzel no longer be a party member after losing her golden hair. Yeah, it makes sense for story purposes, but she was clearly the better party member. The least they could have done was giving Eugene his own special teamwork move to compensate. Regardless, Kingdom of Corona was an amazing world, and I definitely would love to see a return over Arendelle if I'm being honest with all of you. Number 3. Scala at Kylum, which is Latin for Stairway to Heaven. Finally, I get to talk about another original world. Some of you are probably perplexed that I decided to rank this world separately from the Keyblade Graveyard. Technically, it is a world that we have access to, so it counts. Besides, this world has a lot more to it than the final world. This world was absolutely beautiful. Right down from all the mountain towns, especially the main one, the water that surrounds them, and all the cables that connect them together, and hearing the theme of the foretellers playing in the background really accentuates the world's connection to Union Cross. In fact, 
This world used to be Daybreak Town before some catastrophic event caused it to change it to Skull Lake Hylum. This looked like it was going to be the one world square worked on the most, given how massive the layout is. Sora, Donald, and Goofy traveled to this world to have one last confrontation with Xehanort. After defeating all his clones, the final showdown with Xehanort begins. First, he pulls some Doctor Strange shit and have the trio fight on buildings at different angles. Next, the fight proceeds underwater where you see the ruins of Daybreak Town. Then it turns into an intense air battle. Those are just warm-ups though compared to the last phase, where Xehanort uses the almighty Keyblade with Kingdom Hearts illuminating in the background. Just when you think it's all over, Sora, Donald, and Goofy manage to pull together and unleash one final attack to defeat Xehanort. It was amazing to see Square take advantage of the game over sequence like that. As epic as the final showdown with Xehanort was, sadly, it's the only thing you do in this world. A lot of us were expecting to explore this world like you wouldn't believe, except they only made it a final battleground. Thankfully, Remind fixed that by having Sora explore this world in order to find the fragments of Kairi's heart. This led to an epic moment where you play as all the Guardians of Light and fight off the Xehanort clones. Witnessing Mickey single-handedly annihilate all 13 clones was incredible beyond words, solidifying that Mickey Mouse can not only fuck you up financially, but physically as well. And to top it off, Sora and Kairi have one last fight with Armor Xehanort where you're given the privilege to play as Kairi. This definitely redeemed her lackluster performance in the base game. Yes, Scala Akylum doesn't live up to the same structure as past Final World locations, but what it offers is truly spectacular. Number 2. Toy Box The runner-up for my favorite world is Toy Box. Everyone, and I repeat, EVERYONE wanted to see a world based off Toy Story and Kingdom Hearts for the longest time. I did too at one point until after watching the movies consistently, I started to doubt it. That is until July 2017 where Square revealed the third new Disney World. Lo and behold, it was based off Toy Story. Oh. My. God. I lost my shit when I first saw the reveal trailer, and I completely took back everything I said about Toy Story never appearing in Kingdom Hearts. Sora, Donald, and Goofy appearing as toys, Woody and Buzz both appearing as party members, exploring Andy's house and neighborhood from Toy Story 2, along with a new toy store called Galaxy Toys. This is where most of the exploring takes place, as this toy store was massive. Having numerous sections in each floor, as a babies and toddlers section, a playground, a video game section... Hearing that rendition of You Got a Friend of Me was breathtaking, and the battle theme sounded equally as great. They soon revealed that this world was going to tell an original story instead of recapping any of the films. To be honest, that was fucking perfect because I really couldn't picture any of the film stories working out in a Kingdom Hearts game. Without a doubt, this is the best original story we've gotten in any Disney world so far. The trio worked together with Woody and Buzz to find their friends and Andy who mysteriously disappeared. However, Buzz is skeptical of Sora because he thinks he's going through delusions like he did in the first film. This is because Sora and the gang are mistaken for toys based off video game characters. I just love how meta this story got, and the friendship Sora made with these characters was so wholesome, as Sora taught them how Andy will always be in their hearts. At the same time, young Xehanort learns that even toys are capable of having hearts of their own, and he learned that shit the hard way because Woody straight up roasted his ass. Without a doubt, the best scene in the world. The boss fights were also very impressive, such as the Gigas robots, which you can control after defeating them, Angelic Amber, which I think was added solely to pleasure any waifu lovers, and the King of Toys, which can be challenging at times with its constant floating and defensive maneuvers. Personally, I would have loved an Emperor Zerg boss. Obviously, it wouldn't be the same Zerg from Toy Story 2, but this game really needed some more Disney villain bosses as well, like Randall, or another Hades boss, or Randall. Also, the whole copy world scheme that young Xehanort did, 
it's confusing to comprehend at times. Despite that, Toy Box was a fantastic addition to the Kingdom Hearts world line, and a lot of people want to see return in future games. The only thing I'm having trouble figuring out is, will the characters even remember Sora? Like I said, this world is a copy created by young Xehanort. I know, it's so fucking stupid. But I'm sure Square will think of something to work their way around that. Also, shout out to the many Final Fantasy references within this world. Number 1. The Caribbean My favorite world in Kingdom Hearts 3 is without a doubt the Caribbean. Out of all the worlds from Kingdom Hearts 2, I had a feeling that Pirates of the Caribbean was going to make a return, given the many sequels that this film series had. Even though I'm not a huge Pirates fan, and poor Royal did leave a rather bad taste in my mouth, I was sound to see this world make a comeback. After years of anticipation, Square revealed that Pirates was indeed returning, and it received a HUGE upgrade. The Caribbean completely shits on Port Royal from KH2. The character models look more polished and almost realistic compared to the previous models. Sora, Donald, and Goofy actually fit into the world's atmosphere by changing into pirate attire, which is one of the biggest problems I have with Port Royal to begin with. And in terms of layout, it changed to an open sea world with so many different islands you can explore. And as a saving grace, better swimming mechanics. In your fucking face, Atlantica! The music. Oh god, the music is fantastic. Sure, it's missing the rendition of He's a Pirate, but it makes up for it by having such an epic field-slash-battle theme, and an equally impressive theme whenever you sail on your ship. Speaking of which, the pirate ship battles received a huge upgrade as well. With different attacks you can initiate, you can also level up your ship by defeating enemies and collecting crabs. Considering KH2 covered the first film, you would think that the game would cover the story of Dead Man's Chest. However, Square actually skipped the second film and instead recapped the events of the third film at World's End. Simply because Dead Man's Chest ended on a cliffhanger. Don't worry, they explain what happens in the second film in like a few sentences to make it sound less confusing. Sora reunites with Jack Sparrow as they try to stop Curler Beckett from taking control of the seas. However, they also have to stop Luxor from obtaining a black box, which may or may not contain the heart of Davy Jones. Honestly, the one thing that kept me infested besides the visuals was Sora and Jack's chemistry. It's much more fleshed out and believable than what Port Royal had. Even though the Luxord and Black Box did distract us from the actual story, it was another unique way of making a Disney World vital to the overall plot. The scene where Jack Sparrow gets rid of Luxord with his bad breath killed me. Definite payback for all the shit Luxord gave him in both Kingdom Hearts 2 and this game. This world also features some of the best bosses in the game. Starting with Raging Vulture. Yeah, the suing section can be tedious at times, but when you somersault to his head and unleash melee attacks, it's worth it. Lightning Angler did feel tedious as well. Yet it's still a solid underwater boss. Fighting the Kraken from Dead Man's Chest was fun as well. However, the true highlight was fighting Davy Jones. This was the only Disney world in the game where you fight the main villain, and I loved it. From the way he teleports and unleashes brutal attacks, the Kraken tentacles he summons, and the stormy weather that occurs during the fight, this all leads to Sora beating the shit out of Davy Jones for killing Will, just like in the film. Then we get treated to a gorgeous CGI cutscenes of the characters destroying Beckett's ship. It's amazing that a scene like that is in the same game where you pick fucking vegetables from Rabbit's Garden. However, I do think it was a missed opportunity to not include a scene where Pete and Maleficent visit this world, since they too are searching for the black box Luxor is looking for. Also, Pete had that little alliance with Barbosa in Port Royal. I felt like I didn't have to mention Pete or Maleficent seeing as how they got completely shafted in this game, but I'm mentioning them anyway just to remind us all that they exist. Other than that, the Caribbean was a brilliant world to explore. And it deserves the title as my favorite world in Kingdom Hearts 3. With that said, my list has been concluded. 
This was definitely the best selection of worlds we've gotten since Kingdom Hearts 2, because the themes in each world really captured the essence of Kingdom Hearts. However, Square focused too much on quality over quantity, and that took a heavy toll on these worlds. I still love Kingdom Hearts 3, don't get me wrong, I just felt it could have been executed better. Even with the improvements of Remind gave us, it still didn't completely change my mind. Regardless, this game did its job by concluding the Xehanort Saga, and it's time to move on. But I will return to this miniseries once Kingdom Hearts 4 becomes a reality, which probably won't happen until another 10 years from now. Oh god, please tell me I'm joking. Anyway, this has been an episode of Geeks Crossing. If you guys played Kingdom Hearts 3 and have a couple of favorite worlds, you can tell us by joining our Discord server. Thank you all for listening, and may your hearts be your guiding keys.